hello there. Welcome to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too, a podcast with me, Samantha, and him, Indy. How are you, Indy? Well, my body is well, but my spirit is considerably rumpled. I, me but too. how could I be that way on such a lovely day like today? Don't you love it when the sun is just shining so? But that's not to say that I don't love rainy days. Aren't rainy days just so existentially romantic? <laughs> oh, and a snowy day. I do love a snowy day as well. Isn't there something about a snowy that day that just feels so nostalgic? Not that there was more snow in my youth, but still, it brings a sense of nostalgia to you, doesn't it, Samantha? <laughs> oh, Samantha. Samantha's such a dreary name. I shall call you Alfonso Soriano. Oh. <laughs> I'm just going to be like Anne the whole time. Okay. I uh, don't know Is if that I'll... okay, Alfonso? I don't... I'm Samantha, not Alfonso. <laughs> Yeah, that was a good imitation of Anne. But I would go on for like another 20 minutes. Yes, exactly. So do you want to let everyone know what we're doing today and yeah. why I'm talking like that? And one person out there is like, Alfonso Soriano, the baseball player? <laughs> oh, I don't know why that was the first person. name that came to me. Also, it's he has a, a good name. Guy name. <laughs> it is. Uh, so today on I Love This You Should Too, we are talking about Anne of Green Gables, the Canadian made-for-television movie from 1985. And if you haven't seen it, we are going to spoil it all. Mm -hmm. And if you want to watch it, let us know. We might be able to get you a little Maybe copy of it if you haven't. Or check your local library. Yes. I think every Canadian library is uh, deemed by law that they must have it. Like 85 copies, I think. <laughs> I think the number is 85. <laughs> they have about 12 different versions of the audiobook. I know that. So, you know, it's not hard to see. You can go find it somewhere. If you're in Canada. But we've uh, picked up lately in Alabama. Oh. I don't know who's in Alabama that's listening so much, but thanks. Hi, Still going Alabama. strong in Japan. Yeah. There was one new country, and now I forget who it was, but whoever you are, I love you too. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is a movie that I saw as a young child, and my mom read me the books when I was little, so I was fully immersed in Anne of Green Gables pretty much my entire life. Indy had never seen the movie, or read the book, and it was kind of out of spite because every Canadian girl is obsessed with Anna Green Gables in grade three. Yeah, and I still haven't gotten over my issues from grade three. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I still love this movie, and it still makes me like super emotional to watch. But Indy, did you love this movie? So being typical Indy, I, I did my homework. Uh-huh. We watched the full three and a half hour movie. Yeah. I also thought might as well read the book while we're at it. <laughs> Indy really does his homework. So I'm reading the book and it's unlike any other book I've read in the sense that I would say two thirds of the book is Anne speaking. True. Yeah. She talks so much, way too much. And she has big romantic takes on literally everything. She's always concerned about hypothetical situations that probably will never happen. And she's always claiming she's in the depths of despair constantly. And I found myself being annoyed with this character. And then I, it kind of came to me. I'm just like Anne. <laughs> I'm painfully like Anne. And everything I disliked in her are the things that I 
fear people think about me. Oh. So then I was like, wait, do I love Anne because she's just like me? And then I'm like, no, I think I don't like her because she's what I fear I am. And I feel there's so many things I could say that would be a fun game of who said it, Indy or Anna Indy Green Gables? Indy or Anna Green Gables. I love <laughs> because that. Because she says, like, I know I chatter far too much, but if only you knew the things I wanted to say but don't. Yeah. And that sums me up so much. <laughs> I talk way too much, but I'm also constantly stopping myself from talking more. <laughs> Rumpled in spirit is a really good way to just put life and that's how i talk all the time i think i've said that i've been rumpled in spirit before before i even read this book yeah and i'm also someone who if we go somewhere i'll say something like oh just let me look a little more so i can remember a time when i was perfectly happy and you're just like oh this again (laughs) and that's how i was with Anne the whole time yeah so i did like the book it was good and then we're watching the movie and i was kind of reading as we watched in the sense that we watched over almost a whole week we watched it in three sittings because it is three and a half hours yeah so i was usually just a little bit ahead in the book from what we were watching and i think i started to like the movie once i got over the idea of Anne in my head like from Mm -hmm. the book because i thought book Anne was like this lovable scamp who was a lot of fun and strong-willed and the movie, Anne, is essentially just a girl who overreacts to everything. True, yeah. There's, we'll get into everything, but I think if there's one thing that you could boil her down to is she just overreacts to pretty much everything. Uh-huh. But once you realize that, it's enjoyable to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, her overreacting to everything becomes the fun part. Yes. And initially, it was a little annoying. You're just like, calm down. But the more she does it, you get into it. Because there's that one time when someone says, like, oh, sorry, there's no ice cream today. And she says, oh, this has scarred me to my very soul. My life is over and I will remember this until the day I die. (laughs) And I'm just thinking, like, how do you talk to this fucking kid? She just goes off about everything. And again, I realized, like, oh, yeah, that's that's like me. But then when you start enjoying her overreactions, it gets a lot more fun. Yeah. And I don't know. I'll never love this movie like you do. No. Because your love is so rooted in your childhood and your relationship with your mom and your and nostalgia and all yeah. of that together. Yeah. And you can't just create that. But what I can say is... It's worth watching. If you're someone who's never watched it or never read the book, there's a lot of good stuff to take away. Mm -hmm. And it's fun. It's beautiful, too. I kind of like I've seen it recently. I think I watched it November last year. Um, But it's just like such a good piece of how beautiful Canada is. That's one thing that was almost disappointing to me in a way because Mm -hmm. in the book you can create it in your mind and when you watch the movie it just looks like the area around my parents house Mm. which is beautiful it is beautiful but it is something that i see often often. yeah yeah so it's not so different like when we're watching beautiful movies in other countries Mm -hmm. there's a certain exotic look and it's different so it seems more special and this is of course beautiful and i'm sure people from different countries will go like wow this is amazing Mm but i'm very used to it i can just go to the park and see a very similar thing right now some of those shots towards the end of the movie 
the the landscapes get a bit more like dramatic. It does, and they stand on like a bluff over the cliff, overlooking the ocean yeah. a few times, and that maybe for me was one of my favorite moments for just like visually because I've done that and maybe that's where my like nostalgia comes in because we did stand on a bluff overlooking the ocean on Prince Edward Island and it was just like beautiful and amazing so I think a large part of the reason that I love this movie is also just like nostalgia for things that I've done and I think movies like this in general, they invoke a sense of nostalgia because mm-hmm. this is all about a simpler time. And I'm not going to get into the, what well, was it really like then? The movie and the book depicted as such. So mm-hmm. that's what makes us think about our childhoods. And yeah. of course, we're watching this girl grow up too. Exactly. Yeah. I do think it would be better served as a TV show, right. perhaps, because a lot of this movie and book is like parables or instructions on how kids should behave. Right. Because Anne will mess up and she learns a lesson and she messes up and she learns a lesson. And it's a bunch of those. And Mm -hmm. that is kind of the first half of the movie version. Yeah. And that would be a great TV show, right? Right. Because every episode she's getting into a scrape and she gets out. Yeah. And this is one of those older style books or scripts where it is all about instruction for children. Mm -hmm. Because that used to be what fairy tales were all about and everything is to teach lessons rather than just entertain. Right. And this has a good bit of that old style of lesson teaching as Mm -hmm. well as all of the entertainment. Yeah. I can see like it as a full piece. Um, because it was originally two movies and then the sequel was also originally two movies that were released separately. But um, I think it does come together nicely as a full movie, the first part. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no like, there's no like real cliffhanger. You just want to know what's going to happen next. And it is that kind of low stakes TV that I like too. Like I like all of those Japanese show, I can't remember the name for them now, where there's a type of show where everything is very low stakes. It's Mm -hmm. like someone going on a picnic, and that is the whole show. Yeah. And you can watch these things, and because of the low stakes, you are never terribly anxious about it. It's Mm -hmm. a very calming watch. It is a very calming watch. I feel like the movie went a little further, because they they heightened things a little bit more. They did more romance. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Lynde is more evil, and... They show her at the beginning as an orphan, and that part they made very sad. It was very sad, yeah. They have the woman there is like burning her books and saying like, all you orphans are trash, and that's not something that's present in the book, and I kind of liked it with the lower stakes. Oh, okay. Because this movie, as beautiful as it is, and for the most part, the stakes in Anne's little scrapes that she gets into Mm -hmm. are pretty low. And I like that. It should be small things. It shouldn't be all life or death. And right. then her reactions of thinking everything is life and death mm-hmm. makes it that much more enjoyable. Yeah, I think I agree. But I do enjoy her kind of experiencing real life for the first time, right? Like, But it seems the opposite. She had a very harsh life and now she's in this idyllic world. Yeah. Because she used to take care of all of these children and was like beleaguered and I assume like abused and everything there yeah. too because that woman was terrible. She was terrible. And then just given away. 
So I kind of feel like the Avonlea world should be small problems. Like her big problem is someone calling her carrot. <laughs> and that's what infuriates her more than anything. And I kind of like that. I yeah. like when it's all just little things that can be easily overcome. Childish little Yeah, things. because it's, it's for children, yes, right? Yes, yeah. Or for 35-year-old women. Yeah. <laughs> so the character of Anne seems perfect for young girls specifically to idolize mm -hmm. or to aspire to be like or to see kind of a reflection of themselves in a little bit, right? Yeah. Did you find that when you were watching it or reading it as a kid? Yeah, I think Anne has this like really romantic story and it's such a high, like low to high kind of story that you don't really get in children's books. So this is like your first big grand romantic kind of read as a child and I think that's kind of what that is kind of what made me latch on to Anne was she has this like really like dismal life where she's taking care of 12 children and her like person her caretaker is a jerk and then all of a sudden she gets to go to Avonlea and live this beautiful life with friends and family and people who care about her. And that seemed like a very grand romantic thing to experience as a child. Definitely. And I think we're going to use the word romantic a lot I think in so. this. And uh, just to remind everyone else, because I know we have a lot of non native English speakers, right. we're using romantic in the capital R sense. So that doesn't necessarily mean like romantic love. No. Like um, I was about to say Matthew and Marilla, no, but they are a brother and, and sister, sister, not a couple. Um, like uh, someone that you love that you would marry, but rather the sense of romanticism in, um, oh, now I have to define romanticism because I brought this up. It's Oof. like, it's got like a very rosy glow and is very like <laughs> Soft and beautiful. And even the things that are sad, you kind of revel in that sadness. Yeah. Like the French romantic poets who were like, I'm depressed, but I'm so depressed that I'm going to write these grand poems mm -hmm. about it. And Anne is a romantic. She's a hopeless romantic. Yes. Because when she is sad, she wants to be in the depths of despair <laughs> and none of her life will ever be the same. Yeah. But she doesn't really get into the romantic love stuff, but that does come in in the movie way more than in the book. Yeah. And it's there, but it's not too heavy, so I'm glad they didn't make that a big part of it. But. Yeah. Um. I also think another thing that kind of drew me to Anne as a small child was like her sense of ambition and her like kind of relentlessness of not giving up on her dreams um, and kind of how her life unfolds in that way of her just like having dreams and really wanting them and how she kind of makes them happen for herself. And I think as a young girl, you really want to like believe that your life is going to be like that when you grow up. I think that is th the strength of the book and movie. But also, of course, I'm going to be critical and say that there's so much more that could be done because like what you were saying, the resilience and the perseverance of Anne is, is something for you as a reader, especially as a young reader, to aspire to. She mm -hmm. bounces back from everything. And even though she is saying everything is the end of the world, it doesn't affect her for a long time. She's ready to get on to the next challenge. 
And I do love that she gains a lot of this empowerment through education, Mm -hmm. because especially for women at that time, that that is something that wouldn't be available to so many people. And when she has it available to her, she's uh, making the most of it. And it kind of encourages young readers or watchers to view education as a tool for Mm -hmm. empowerment and achieving your goals. Yeah, that's. A really good way to put it. <laughs> You're always more eloquent than me, for sure. <laughs> well, I read more YA fiction than you. Maybe that's what it is. True. I do a lot of that for work, and I work in a children's library, so all of this stuff is uh, stuff that I like talking about, so it's fun to do it on the podcast. Yeah, in like a kind of a more grown-up sense. <laughs> and then, of course, the other thing that I always say we need more of in movies and TV and books... Female friendships that don't have parts where they fight over a boy and that becomes a thing. I love Diana and Anne's friendship um, and how almost like instant it was and how Anne kind of set herself on Diana and they just get up to all sorts of hijinks. And I think that's another thing that as a girl growing up in kind of a normal life in Alberta is like, oh, she's like go on these grand adventures, running around pastures and like having hijinks and stuff. And that just sounds so amazing and like kind of unrealistic, but like, again, romantic. But it also seems like something that is not far from at least my life as a child, because I had a best friend and we would run around in the <laughs> woods and stuff because I lived in a place not so different, not by the coast, but we have all of those things around. Mm-hmm. Of course, we also had electricity, so that made for other things that we could do. But right. the... is, is Galen the Diana to your Anne? Oh, perhaps. I think Kim <laughs> is the Diana to my Anne. Oh, you think you're the Anne? I think so. She has the red hair. True, true. And as we learned, there's no more important characteristic in anyone than the color of <laughs> the your color hair. The color of your hair, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just having those female friendships where they can work as a as a support unit for mm-hmm. each other. Because at this point, Anne is getting more of a support system than she's ever had. Mm-hmm. But having someone as a peer, not just someone like a Marella and Matthew who are who are much older. And of course, Anne skews older. She is, I don't want to say worldly because she's super naive in a yeah. lot of ways, but she takes on the airs of adulthood a lot more. Yeah. And maybe that's because she never had Child friends friend. of the same yeah. age as her. And she was taking care of children rather than being a child. So her relationship with Diana is not great just because she is making this friend a lifelong bosom friend, as she often says, but because this is when she gets to act like a child for for the first time. Yeah. And I love when she is going through and making these mistakes because it seems like this is the first time she's been able to make those mistakes, Mm -hmm. to be a child and to learn from him. And she seems like she's reveling in that. Yeah. Yeah, I made this mistake, but the best thing about me is I'll never make the same mistake twice. Exactly. I love that about her. Yeah. And one of my favorite lines is when um, Miss Stacy says, remember what you told me once, tomorrow is a fresh day with no mistakes in it yet. And that's such a like, I don't know, it's such a great notion and something that I've like always loved 
Yeah. It's so well put, but then you get older and then you realize, oh, your mistakes follow you forever. True. True. <laughs> I think it's but just we're like... Not about, we're not talking about getting older no, on this podcast. We're not. I think it's... Although we will, because she does get older. She does. I think it's that optimism of be able to like get yourself out of bed in the morning of right. like today is a fresh day let's try and make it as good as we can <laughs> and then if we're just going on about why Anne's important for young viewers and readers the strong female protagonist something that much more common now but when this was written mm-hmm. not nearly as much and then even in our childhoods not nearly as often as well yeah and i think now especially in ya books just being Anne isn't enough. Like you also have to be royal or magic yeah. or like something. There has to be something else special about you. Whereas Anne is just a normal girl with like normal girl problems who has this beautiful world. I definitely agree. But then I also want to push back on what I consider the issue with the vast majority of YA fiction now is hey, this person is magical or the best at everything. Why? No reason. Mm -hmm. Anne is also the best at everything. Yeah. I kind of love those stories where a character doesn't succeed always, Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Right. I think that's an important lesson that we don't see in literature or films for children, that, you know what? I'm fine. I'm a... C plus student and I'm doing all right and I'm happy with it. That's true. You don't have to be the best at everything. Mm -hmm. I wish that was a thing there, but I guess this book and movie was already so um, pushing the envelope and almost revolutionary in so many ways that it can't be all things to everyone. But that is kind of the thing that I liked about her the least. Well, she's also super annoying, but I kind of still love her. Yeah. But the fact that she's just the best. And Diana says like, oh, and Shirley, you're always the best at everything. Yeah. And that is true. Yeah. I think it's always more relatable if you have a protagonist who fails and that's all right. Mm -hmm. She kind of does because she makes those mistakes, but it's never really anything that's long lasting or nothing that is her own fault Mm -hmm. often. And she says, I'm going to win that scholarship. And then she does. I'm going to be top of my class. And then she is. She just mm-hmm. she just wins always. Right. So she doesn't have any big setbacks. But I guess that is nice in the sense that you don't have to bring anything like that in. You don't have to bring in huge failures. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be that dramatic. But of course, I would prefer her to fail and then say like, well, that's all right because I'm still doing great. Yeah. And I'm happy and I have my friend and all of that kind of stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just being nitpicky at that point. True. And I think the other big thing about Anne that people probably latch onto a lot is those themes of Mm self-acceptance and learning who she is and being all right with that. Because she, of course, is grappling with a lot of insecurities. Usually it's boiled down to her hair color, but Mm -hmm. it does go deeper than that. And societal pressures of what she should be like. Mm -hmm. And I do like that she doesn't really fall into those and as well with other characters because Morella and Matthew are not typical either no it's not a story about of course you came from this other world you were an orphan and treated badly but now you're here and you're going to fall in love and be a housewife and the end yeah she does stick true to 
her kind of independent nature throughout. True, yeah. We get to see her grow up. And one thing I didn't like nearly as much is how she tones down everything, all mm-hmm. of the imagination and stuff. She seems much more driven. And I guess that that is something to be aspirational as mm-hmm. well. She still doesn't conform to what people want her to be. She's mm-hmm. still a strong, independent woman. She wants to be a school teacher she wants to help her family when she can and she's willing to be very self-sacrificial in doing that i forget where my sentence started because it (laughs) sounds like i'm saying just all good things about her but i think i was saying something that i wish she had done more of Mm -hmm. maybe just kind of retaining some of that childhood stuff more because it was a little sad almost because we see her grow up for i guess it takes place over four or five years ish Yeah, she starts at 13, and the book ends when they're 16, turning 17, I think. Okay. And I think the book, she's 11 at the beginning. Right. But with one actor, you can only do so much. You can only age her up so much, yeah. But we kind of see her become an adult, Mm -hmm. become very driven. Yeah. And I wish there was more of that imagination Mm -hmm. and that lost in thought and the existentially romantic and... I wish she would can kind of continue and sure mature, but she seems much more world weary and just adult by mm-hmm. the end. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely see an argument for that. Um, she definitely does tone it down and you're right. That is like, it's a little sad just because it's like you want those big grand speeches and like the hijinks and her big plans that she drags Diana on. That seems like something that Anne should never lose. Yeah. But I guess she still holds on to what was important. Mm-hmm. Like I, of course, think all of that other stuff was too, because I am me and I still act like that. And I'm a man who's almost 40, <laughs> but I still have all of that very childlike stuff. And Sometimes it's, I'm sure, very charming to you. Sometimes probably very annoying to you. But it's still a part of me. So when Anne yes. lost it, I kind of tipped that personally. of Like, oh, well, it's too bad. Mm-hmm. But she still has so many aspirational things for the audience of this movie and book. Because she doesn't lose the core of herself, I don't think. No. I don't want to, like, spoil the second movie for you. Mm-hmm. But she does get some hijinks in the second movie. Good. Even as, like, an adult as adult as you can be at 17, but like there's still some hijinks happening. And the second movie is based on a second book? Yes. So it's the next three books kind of amalgamated. Okay. So it's Anne of Avonlea, Anne of the Island, and Anne of Windy Poplars kind of all munched together. All munched up. (laughs) So it does cover a lot, but I don't feel like it rushes anything. And then the continuing story skips Anne's House of Dreams and goes off on its own kind of storyline that wasn't written by Ellen Montgomery. Oh. Um, which I'm not a huge fan of the continuing story. It's like too dark of a world because it's set during the war. Mm. And it's and like... And that takes away kind of does. the beauty and idyllic nature of this fictitious Exactly. Avonlea. Like, I don't want that much real life in my mm. Anne of Green Gables. I, I agree. Like, sure. I think it's just, it's too dark. It's too real. I thought the second half of this was too dark. So I definitely <laughs> think that would be. Yeah. What are your favorite sections of this? We'll get into specific moments, but the overall feel of it, because I 
definitely liked the first half better than the second half. Okay. And I think the last quarter or maybe last third of this overall was my least favorite part because it is the more adult Anne Mm -hmm. and it's real world problems. There's death. There's like, oh, are we going to lose Green Gables? And the romance between her and Gilbert is played more heavily there. And it's just all of those adult things creeping in. And I just liked it so much more when it was more childish, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think I agree with you in that the first half, they really let you like sit and like marinate in it. And it's a lot longer moments with each kind of plot point. Things are given their due time in the first half, while in the second half, it's just... Hey, I'm off to school. Hey, I'm back. Yeah. And then things just go hey, so quickly. Hey, I did a whole year of school and yeah. now I'm a teacher and right. now I want to go do another degree, but oh no, I'm going to stay here. So you just kind of, you don't get those like really long pauses of just like feeling in the moment of Anne's life. Which I think is when the movie's at its best. Yes. Yeah. When you're really feeling those emotions and you're really seeing a lot of that, like like her um, holding onto the bridge after she, the, her boat sunk. Right. And it's just like, you really feel like you're there. Whereas at teacher's college, you get like maybe 10, 15 minutes of her entire school year. Mm-hmm. And you see this friend that you don't even... We don't even really meet her as she's going to um, learn that she's won the scholarship. So I, I like I want to know all the people in Anne's life and I want to see her make these friendships like you do in the first half of the movie. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Did you have any other thoughts on that <laughs> kind of favorite moment? Well, if we're going to talk favorite moments, I have so, so many. Right. But I think like what you were saying I think the movie is at its best when it's giving the space for those types of things. Like there's that friendship montage earlier on. Yes. I was going to say like later in the movie, but the movie's so long you realize, oh, that was actually pretty early. Yeah. Where they're not even really doing much, her and Diana. They're just kind of walking around in different pretty places and laughing. Yeah. And that's all I needed. Yeah. I think that's when it's at its best. When this movie kind of borders on fantasy. Uh Uh-huh. not in a in the strict sense, but it looks maybe slightly more stylized, like the friendship montage or when they're in the deep, scary woods. Mm-hmm. Those times when the movie surrenders to the environment and yeah. not just the character, those are some of my favorite moments. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think I enjoy this glimpse of what life might be in Prince Edward Island during this time. Those are like my favorite moments. Those and just her getting into her scrapes as yes. a kid. Yeah. Like she falls off a roof. She's like, don't worry, I'm fine. And then falls right into <laughs> yeah. a well. You're like, what the fuck? How is she my- <laughs> yeah. How is she finding all of these things to fall in that quickly? Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. I just love her spunky resilience, I guess is the way to put it. And that's something that she does carry throughout the entire movie. Remember when Diana gets hammered? Yes. That was awesome too. That was so good. And I I feel like I understand all of the characters' kind of motivations in that scene of like Diana's mom being like, how could you get my daughter drunk? Because Diana is supposed to be the perfect like Edwardian child, basically. Diana is a total millhouse. <laughs> 
Diana's a loser. <laughs> I like her, and she is a great friend, but she's a total millionaire. Yeah. Horse. Okay. <laughs> Do you think Diana's cool? I think she's pretty cool. No, Anne's I cool. Think. Anne shows up to school, and on like day two, this um, redheaded orphan that is always talking about how she's has the worst lot in life. Everyone loves her mm-hmm. right away, and she becomes the leader of everyone real quick. Yeah, Anne's cool. Anne's Bart. <laughs> Anne is Dennis the Menace and Bart Simpson. Okay, she's always getting into scrapes, but you know what? She's plucky. She's resilient. She'll come out on top in the end. Uh-huh. Diana is a millhouse. Diana is someone who is kind of latched on to a more charismatic person. Uh-huh. And she serves her purpose because she's always there. She's dependable, but she's not really bringing much to the table. <laughs> I feel like I don't know enough about The Simpsons to like make a call on that. Okay, well then just uh, Diana being a bit of a loser. Yeah. I think Diana's... She's uh, coddled and sheltered. So she doesn't really have a strong personality of her own. So she's around people who have the strong personality. So she doesn't have to do as much. That's what I think of Diana. I think it's her like upbringing. Yeah, definitely. And like you see in Great Aunt Joe, and like her family's rich. Mm-hmm. So she's being brought up to be basically be like the perfect wife, right? Yeah. And so I think before Anne, she would have skipped a lot of the things that she gets to do with Anne. And so I think Anne is teaching her to like live a little. I always thought it was really funny. Now to go off on a different tangent, uh, you can see Anne in the background of some scenes, like holding herself like Diana and like watching Diana and trying to be a little bit more like polished and like prim and proper, I guess. I love when Diana comes for tea and they're pretending to be all adults. Be like ladies, yeah. Yeah, and they're speaking differently and they're standing differently, but then they quickly can't contain their true nature yeah. and excitement. So they're like, oh, yeah, what about this? What about this? And, yeah. then, uh, and then Diana gets hammered. One of my favorite lines from that scene is, oh, there are so many things on a person's mind when they are housekeeping. And it's just <laughs> oh, like... Oh, isn't that true? I think I'm way more like Anne than you are. I think so. I don't like that. Because <laughs> Anne is annoying. Again... Love Anne. Yeah. Really enjoyed all of this. But Anne is super annoying yeah, and would be you... terrible to actually know in real life. Yeah. Like you couldn't have a conversation with her. Because you're like, hey, Anne, tell me about yourself. Well, I'm not going to tell you anything about myself, but I'll tell you what I imagine about yeah. myself. God damn it, Anne. Just answer a question. And in the book especially, you ask her, how are you today? And then you get a four-page answer that mm-hmm. never answers the question. Right. And that would be infuriating. Yeah. I enjoyed... Her, like, stubbornness at the beginning around how her name is spelled with an E. Yes. And I feel like that comes from her not really owning anything in her life. She has control of so little in her life. The only thing that she has is the fact that her name is spelled with an E. And she eventually has a fuller, more robust life. But she always holds on to that first thing that she owned, which was, like, her name. And that was it. So... I, I just love that idea of just being like strong to who you are. While we were watching this movie, we talked about uh, John A. Macdonald, who uh-huh. was the first prime minister of Canada yes. and who was a prime minister during this. And you said he's very good looking. 
I thought he was kind of cute in some of his portraits. Okay, I'm going like to put old... a link up in the show notes to a picture of John A. McDonald. And um, you decide for yourself out there, everyone. For a man of that time. It's not like everyone was ugly <laughs> in the year 1900. No, they just looked very different. True. But uh, I don't think he was handsome for any time. Okay. <laughs> so go click on the link in the show notes. Right. And uh, you be the judge. Uh-huh. We'll probably put a poll on our Instagram or something, too. Perfect. Hot or not, because we did that last with Tony Leung, who you said was not hot and is a total babe. <laughs> and uh, John A. McDonald, you think is better looking than Tony Leung, which is madness. <laughs> and then I worry because you think I'm good looking. I do. And this is showing you have terrible taste in men. <laughs> so that that's, doesn't bode well for me. Okay. See, it's good for you because I like hot people and I like you. So <laughs> oh. you like real weirdos and you like me. <laughs> uh, no comment, but I do like you a lot. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> do you have some other favorite scenes in the movie? Yeah, I think that first scene where Matthew was driving Anne home from the train station and he mm. knows something's wrong. But like just Anne experiencing Prince Edward Island for the first time is like exactly how the viewer is feeling. You see this beautiful orchard full of blossoms and you see the seaside and you see the red dirt and you see these beautiful um, 1880s homes. And it's just like... You're just drinking it in, and Anne is kind of verbalizing exactly what you're thinking as you're seeing all this beauty mm -hmm. around you. And I, I love that scene. I was like, it's like what ten minutes into the movie. Yeah, about that. And I was like already emotional, and so, and I think it's like I like we said earlier, like I think it's just a nostalgia thing for me, but like. Just the music, the score of this, Anne's theme, and Matthew, how, like, throughout the entire movie is just, like, endlessly amused by her. And he's such a quiet soul, and you get just these, like, facial expressions. This actor was great because it's just all facial, facial expressions, pretty much. Matthew is maybe my favorite character in the movie. Oh, I love Matthew. Do you have a favorite character? Or is it Anne? I think Anne and Matthew are my favorite. Yeah. And I think their relationship is also one of my favorites in this movie because it's not a lot of grand sweeping speeches and stuff. It's just like you can just feel it and you can see it on their faces when they're together. They both gain so much from the other, mm -hmm. but it's never explicitly addressed. Nope. Like with Marilla, we do have that speech later I think it's after Matthew dies, it actually. Is, yeah. When she says, I've been hard on you, but this is why you've become quite dear to me, all of that sort of and stuff. And know that, like, Matthew didn't love you more than I do. Yeah. yeah. Like, that was really <laughs> nice. And I, I appreciate Marilla's kind of role in Anne's life um, because, like, she needs that. She needs reigning it. She needs someone who has both feet on the ground and isn't living in this fantasy world. Um, and so I love that Marilla is like scared to give her too much affection, but also very clearly loves her as well. I love how Marilla is 
forcing herself to be stern. She's yeah. not being stern because that's who she is. Although that is who she is. But sometimes she's maybe like stifling a laugh yes. like with her apology to um, Mrs. Lind. Lind. Right. Uh, with the apology to Mrs. Lind when Anne sneaks in a little bit of an yeah. insult. And Marilla laughs when she's like covering it up. Yeah. And when she's clearly concerned for Anne's well-being, she doesn't want to show it. But it's not because she doesn't care, but it's because that's how she was raised. Mm -hmm. And that's how she knows how to show love. Yes. And because she believes that treating her in this way is going to make Anne into the best person she can be. Yes. And I love that of her wanting to be more expressive of her love. But holding back because she thinks she's doing it for Anne's benefit. Yes. And then when she finally gets to kind of express that later. Mm -hmm. But I just want to jump back for one sure, second because yeah. I wanted to talk about Matthew a little course, bit more. Yeah. Because I loved him and their relationship. And although they don't get those moments, because Matthew doesn't really talk no, much at all. I think he maybe has like 10 lines in this entire movie. And in this one, we do get to see when he dies, mm -hmm. he gets to have a little bit of a speech of yes. like how much she means. And that scene, I don't know. I don't know if I loved it or if I hated it, his death scene, because he just like dies in a field right away. And I guess this movie suffers from that main character syndrome of, of course, this it's called Anne of Green Gables. Yes. It is all about her, but it's a little bit too much all about her. Yeah. It's rare that a character speaks not in relation to Anne. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just want more of Matthew being Matthew and Marilla being Marilla mm -hmm. and learn about them. And it's, we only learn about other characters in their relationship to Anne. And everything revolves around Anne. Mm -hmm. Even when Anne is being nice to someone, when she's helping people out, she'll have to stop and talk about how awesome she is and how great she is for helping people. Mm. It's a little too much of that. And that kind of gets into the arguments about how, like, oh, kids these days, right? <laughs> and it's same with kids of any time. But right. the idea that people do not think past themselves, I kind of wish that was addressed more because Anne doesn't think past herself very often at all. Not until the end. And I guess maybe that's her journey. And we get to yeah. see her making that sacrifice to stay with Marilla and help to save Green Gables. Save Green Gables, yeah. So I guess it's there, but I don't know. Maybe at a finer point on that. But with uh, Matthew... They don't express it, but you can see it. Oh, you can see it quietly. You can see what they are getting from each other. Yeah. And you can see that as simply as having someone to talk to him, mm -hmm. that's what Matthew loved and all the energy that she <laughs> brought to his yes. life. And of course, Anne is still Anne and she loves someone who is willing to listen to her go on and on and on. <laughs> True. But also she's kind of maybe gaining some of that introspective nature from Matthew, mm -hmm. or if not gaining it in her own character, learning to appreciate it in someone else. Yes, yeah. But that brings me to maybe my favorite scene. I don't know. There's a lot of good ones. Maybe the more fun ones. But my favorite kind of emotional scene is when they are in the stables and the scene about the dress. Yes. And Matthew just going to get the dress and being so flustered oh my and God, having to talk about the dress. scene in the store... Yeah was is like one of my favorite Matthew moments for sure because he's like he's never had to go buy a dress before she's like oh I'll take um a rake yeah, yeah. a rake she's like it's December 
Um, but you know that he just like really wants Anne to have everything that he can give her. And like, it's so nice when you see Marilla being like, oh, she looks absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> You're going to have to turn sideways to go through the doors. And I just love their like counterbalance of setting Anne off on her dreams and also being like, there is like a real world you have to kind of be mindful of. And then when they're in the stables and Matthew actually gets to talk and express his feelings yes. for one of the very, maybe one of only two times uh -huh. in the whole movie, that scene was great. Yeah, I like that. And then the dresses. Remember when Marilla makes her some dresses and goes like, oh, what do you think of them? And she says, I can imagine a world where I would like them. <laughs> what a dick. Yeah. That's... You just got taken in and she makes you these new dresses and you're like, yeah, they're terrible, but I can pretend they're not terrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Anne. Ugh, what a girl. What a girl. I was saying when we were watching it, we talked more than we often do in movies. Yeah. Maybe because it's so long and there's not as much dialogue as a lot true, of the movies we watch. True. But I was saying that I bet I'm going to swear in this episode more than any of the other ones. Because <laughs> when Matthew died, I was just like, he just dies in a fucking field? Yeah. I was upset about that. But yeah. we're better for Matthew to die. That's where he loved to be. Yeah, yeah. And I think... And with Anne there. And in his final speech, he says, I got old and I didn't notice, which I think oh, is like... that hits. The best way to go. Oh. You live your life the way you've always lived your life. And... Yeah, see, I feel it now. I got old and I didn't notice. Oh. Here we are. Still thinking like Anne, but looking like Matthew. Oh, <laughs> you do not look like Matthew. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think his death was very like beautiful and appropriate. Yeah, I think I'm just sad because I liked Matthew. No, I love Matthew. <laughs> I cry every single time I see that scene where he dies. Remember when you yelled at Anne for being a conservative? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Yeah, it was a it was a different conservative party back then and um I love that you get this little glimpse of something huge happening in their lives of like the prime minister yeah, is they got visiting. to go see that sexy johnny oh my God, okay <laughs> <laughs> but like that you get the little bit of like excitement and all the adults going to like meet the prime minister which is would have been huge it's still huge to meet the prime minister so um i think I love just the little reminders that this was like a real time in history and these things were very important and exciting. I almost wish there hadn't been those things. I don't want it to be a real time in history. Mm. I think this movie and book is at its best when it is this almost fantasy-like idyllic place of Avonlea. Right. I don't want the war to touch it. I don't want the bank closing down and them losing the house. I don't want any of that sort of no. stuff in this book. Yeah, that's fair. I just I... want it to be nice and peaceful and everyone to be happy forever. <laughs> Same. I think they handled those things well. Though. Yeah, for sure. Like like I said, in the continuing story in the third um, movie, I don't think seeing all of this stuff and you see a lot of the war and it just really drags you down. Whereas with this, you see the excitement of the adults as they get in the sleigh to go and then their excitement when they come back. And that's like, that's it. And it's nice. You kind of know where you are in history. And that's that's it. So if you haven't read any more of the book, 
or like of the books. And yeah, just the first. You one. haven't seen the second movie, right? Um. So what I want to hear your predictions for Anne, knowing nothing, because I feel like this is so ingrained in my brain that like I can't even imagine another way of it ending up. So what do you think is going to happen in the next? And the next movie is like another three-hour movie. So there's a lot. What ages does it cover of Anne? I think it picks up pretty much right from where we ended. So her taking over the school. I think it might start that September of her first year of teaching in Avonlea. And then I think it probably goes until she's about 20 or 20 too like okay. in like young adulthood i guess back then that would have been like full-on adulthood what i would love to happen i don't know of course what will happen but i would love her to have a student who's a total Anne, mm-hmm. and then she has to be the like the grounded one and try to like oh i see how incredibly taxing dealing with someone like this is right I want to see um, more interactions with her and students. But then at this point, maybe she's getting together with Gilbert, I guess. So that's one thing. She does get together with Gilbert. Yeah. I like I don't want to give too much away because I still really want you to see the second movie. Um, Not for the podcast, but just just to like catch up on the full story. Um, Do you have any other predictions of what do you think will happen? So do you want me to predict what I think? Lucy Maud Montgomery would do with it or what I think should happen? What I think she'd do with it or what you'd think she'd do with it. Well, you already said she's going to do some more um, fun hijinks. Yeah. So I'm hoping some of that. I assume there'll be a further progression in the relationship with Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Perhaps if there's there's more books after that, right? Yes. Yeah, so this so is maybe they don't even get married in, in this one. Maybe it's like a... Um, they're getting together or they express that they want to be together and maybe they get engaged or maybe it ends with the marriage or something like that. I feel like that would be big in there. Um, I feel like we'll see Diana continue and she probably gets married. Should I imagine she would get married before and I don't know. That's what I would think because okay. she's more like on the typical path of, of, of women of the age right. than Anne is. You get married young and you... Like, she's basically being trained to marry. And then I guess, does Marilla die? Maybe Marilla dies or something and she takes over Green Gables and will eventually live there with Gilbert and they'll be school teachers or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. It's a beautiful movie that you just wrote. <laughs> oh, I, I think I could make it better if it's what I want, but... Or does she ever go to a different... No, she doesn't go to a different place because the next book is called Anne of Avonlea, so... Right, but remember there is three books in one movie coming up. Mm, then so maybe she does. many, many different things that she does. Then maybe a part of it is her journey to a different town and she's either going to school there or teaching school and she probably needs to go away and have some sort of experience. I guess. I don't know. I'm not going to affirm or deny anything, but I think I think you have a good idea of how the story might go. Maybe. I don't know. I love it. <laughs> Do you love it? I don't love the movie or the book. Okay. I don't think either one is an amazing standalone piece of literature or filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I do think the influence it has had and the relationships 
generations, multiple generations mm-hmm. of young readers or movie watchers have made with this movie and with this character specifically. I think that is very special mm-hmm. and impressive. Is the movie on its own an amazing movie? I don't think so. I think it's a good movie mm-hmm. and I like it very much. But I, the importance of Anne of Green Gables is far greater than the sum of its parts, right? right? The performances in this are good. There's a few that aren't. <laughs> the cinematography in this is good. There's some great looking scenery. Mm-hmm. It's not especially well directed or written in a lot of points. But that's kind of not what you want from this. Right. Or maybe it's not not necessarily not what you want, but that's not what's important about this. Right. Yeah. What's important about this is how it makes people, especially young girls, feel about themselves and this character. How they see Anne has the power to make them feel differently about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why this is amazing. Right. Cool. I'm glad you feel that way (laughs) and i'll take i really liked it (laughs) it's fun it's a fun watch yeah and if you're someone who still hasn't seen it and didn't think you would want to watch it watch it in the same way you would watch a movie where you want to like yell at the screen Mm -hmm. not in a horror movie of like don't go in there but have fun with it. Yeah. When Anne dyes her hair, just be like, oh, shit, Anne, what are you doing? Why would you do that? And yeah. Have fun with it. Get engaged with the characters as if they were real people mm-hmm. and get invested in it that way. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Because the characters feel like friends. Yes, absolutely. They're comfortable. They're like comforting. And this is definitely like a comfort movie for me. And so many others. And thousands of millions of other people. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our discussion of Anne of Green Gables. Did you get everything from this discussion that you wanted to? Yeah, I think I did. I think I think there's so much more, but like Matthew, I think a lot of it is best left unsaid. Just like Matthew would have wanted. Exactly. <laughs> I think so much of it is just a feeling that's really hard to describe. So I think leaving it there is probably the best thing to do and letting our listeners kind of make up their own mind on this classic masterpiece. Well, this is just our introduction to our Canadian content week, month, month. several weeks. So next week, join us where we'll have two... Canadian content things of the fortnight yes. where we'll each talk about something that we're into and then I'll reveal my pick for a Canadian movie that we'll be watching for the week after that. Okay. And Sam already claimed to do Porky's later so I can't pick Porky's because Sam not... said it's my favorite no, movie. I have... You better not take Porky's. Oh, is that going to be your thing of the fortnight maybe? I have never. Well, you'll have to join oh in next God. week I've never to seen see Porky's. What Sam has to say about Porky's, uh. <laughs> one of her favorite movies. Maybe she'll talk about Porky's too. I don't know. I have never seen Porky's or Porky's too. So I don't know. <laughs> Me neither, actually. <laughs> I uh, don't know what I'd have to say about them. But you love uh, them. I don't. That if there is any greater contribution to Canadian culture than Anne of Green Gables, it's Porky's. Oh, I think is that that's what you said. Yikes. That's what your letterbox review said. Is it? <laughs> okay, we'll see you next week, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. I know your handle is Porky's fan number one.
the only other thing I had in my notes was, what the fuck was going on with that girl and the teacher? Oh, yeah. Are they banging? Is that the joke? That's a weird joke. <laughs> it wasn't like, it was like 10 minutes in the movie. It was so out of place, It was though. so weird, yeah. 